There are some people that make their work just another thing they have to do. And there are those that make their work something that they want to do. Welcome to Working on Purpose with your host, Elise Cortez. In our program, we provide guidance and inspiration from those people who have found deeper meaning and personal connection to their work life. It's beyond 9 to 5. It's Working on Purpose. Now, here is your host, Elise Cortez. Welcome back to the Working on Purpose show. Thanks for tuning in again this week. I'm your host, Elise Cortez, joining you live from Dallas, Texas, which is home base for me. If you've been tuning in for a while, you know this program is all about helping people create more meaningful and purposeful lives and equipping leaders inside organizations to cultivate meaning and purpose that elicits passion, inspired contribution, innovation, and persevering performance. I talk with my guests to draw on their, ex- their expertise and share my own experience consulting, speaking, and developing workforces across the globe. Before we get into today's program, let me give a shout out to my sponsor, rentwithrighttobuy.com. This real estate service offers a new way to home ownership and allows you to purchase a home when you may not be entirely ready. It's a great option if your credit is not in the best of shape or if you are in transition, such as divorce, downsizing, or relocating, or just unsure about your new area. Just as you've been able to rent to buy cars, appliances, and furniture, this is your opportunity to rent a home and then have a right to buy it later. Visit rentwithrighttobuy.com. Each week in these conversations, it's my hope that you walk away with something you can immediately put to use in your life and your work. And if I can do anything along the way to help you with your journey, visit my website, EliseCortez.com, and use the Contact Me feature to message me. And let's open a conversation and dialogue about what, what's up to for you. Whether you want to look into developing purpose-inspired leadership and a meaning-infused culture in your organization, you want to see about joining a catchfire online inspiration, accountability, or mastermind community to nurture your own passion and purpose and bring it out to the world. You're interested in the Women on Purpose Thought Leadership Summit in Portland, September 8th through 10th, 2019, or you want me to come speak for your company or conference. At any rate, I'm glad we're connected, and thanks for listening. Now, this week's program with us today is Karen Melsap. She is a resilience coach and the founder of Grow Flow Community. We'll be talking about her journey of healing after several tragic incidents in her life and the powerful life-changing habits that's helped her rebuild her own life and find her way back to a whole heart. Today, she guides others on how to feel better, live better, and achieve their goals in their in her master masterclass community called Soul Care. She joins us today from Orlando, Florida. Karen, welcome to Working on Purpose. Hi, Elise. Thank you so much for having me. I'm looking forward to this conversation. Me too. And let's also, while we're at it, give a shout out to our mutual friend, Brian Williams, who connected us. Thank you, Brian, for bringing me, Karen. I appreciate you. Yes. Thank you, Brian. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I want to just, this is such a remarkable story and getting to meet you, Karen, and just being in your space is just wonderful. And I'm again reminded in so doing just how purpose can come from a shocking array of life experiences. And and you've had plenty of fodder to, to draw from. And so if we can, let's just go ahead and bring our listeners right into your space and, and tell us your story of what, what happened for you starting when I think you were, I think, 29 with your husband. Yes. Well, nobody expects to kind of be at the end of your life when you're in the beginning phases and building your life. But that's what happened when my husband was tragically killed. Uh, We owned a CrossFit. He uh, started it about six months before he died. And it was his passion. He was stepping out on faith and wanted to be an entrepreneur and was helping so many lives. And then one evening, I was home doing some phone interviews um, because I was a recruiter. And as I was interviewing 
and executives, uh, my cell phone was buzzing. I was using the house phone. And so the, the, my cell phone was buzzing. And I looked and I saw that it was the same person calling over and over again. And it was a woman who was one of our members at the gym. And so I immediately thought, okay, something must have happened because she wouldn't be calling back to back to back to back. And then I thought, well, maybe Richard hurt himself. Maybe uh, he fell off the rig or um, broke his arm, hit his head, you know. And so there was a moment when I just asked the candidate a question and I put him on mute as I answered her next call. And it was just complete chaos. I heard screaming. I couldn't make out exactly what she was saying but uh, finally I was able to make out the word shot and she told me that Richard had been shot Um, my body immediately went into convulsion but I still wasn't processing I wasn't fully processing what had happened and so I took my two-year-old son over to the neighbors I just asked them if they could you know watch him for a little bit because something had happened at the gym and I wasn't sure and then I went you know a hundred and something down the highway just trying to get there as fast as I could and I remember having a moment when I thought to myself you know why am I not on my way to the hospital and once I pulled up to the gym um, it was just craziness. I mean, news reporters were already there with their vans, you know, first responders, people from the community, from church. I mean, it was just mayhem. And I honestly, Elise, I don't remember who told me or when they told me um, that he died and that he died, you know, immediately. Um, but that night was the night that changed my life. And yeah, at 29, I became a widow. Oh my gosh. Okay. So I got to tell you that just listening to you tell that story again, I heard a little bit of it the first time we spoke. I just, it just washes over me, Karen, just the, the profundity of it, the, the enormity of it. I, I, I just, it's amazing to me and really it moves me to tears. Amazing to me, the stuff that life can serve up to us. And now, you know, Mm -hmm. what's amazing to me even more though, is your response to all this. So you were 29 then. And if you don't mind me asking, how old are you now? I'm 35. Okay, so six years ago. Oh my gosh, happy (laughs) birthday. Okay, hold on. Really quick, I have to sing you happy birthday really quick in Portuguese. (laughs) Okay, it goes like this. Parabéns para você nesta data querida, muitos felicidades, muitos anos de vida. No, thank you. Right? And even though that was happy birthday, geez, your voice is beautiful. Thank you, Elise. (laughs) Thank you, thank you. It's it's a great little Portuguese song and it means um, congratulations to you on this special day, much happiness and many years of life um but wow so in six years and so i i i the reason that i really wanted to share you with my listeners is that you're a perfect example a living breathing example of what it is to be able to take the stuff that life serves up to us and really dig down deep into your bones and your soul and create a response to that in a way that both heals yourself and gives something back to the world Mm -hmm. so before we get more into what you've been able to do over these last six years there's more to the story, I know. So I think you said that um, you didn't have insurance, right? Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, we didn't have life insurance, which was interesting because I'd started at this company and um, just the paperwork didn't process. I'd been there for a little less than a year and found out that the paperwork wasn't done. So normally, you know, you check that box that you at the very minimum have uh, life insurance through your employer um, for yourself and your spouse, but we didn't have anything. And, um, you know, we don't get social security. I mean, we I literally started from nothing and yeah, I ended up losing, you know, my house and my car and a year later I ended up um, being let go from my job and so it was just it was a ripple effect of crazy (laughs) that's the best way to put it well hold on just a sec I really want to make sure our listeners understand this because the way you just said it I know it sounds it feels different six years later or five years later but what did you do where if you lost your house you lost your car um what 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 how did you survive what did you do well When I, so first it was about six months after Richard died that, um, maybe a little less, that I just was looking at my finances and saying, I literally cannot live with one income the way that we've been living with two. And so the first thing to go was the car. We had just got into a car because we got into a bigger car with the hopes of having more children. And some people don't understand, you know, the heartache that came from um, having to downsize a car. It's not a big deal. I, you know, I'm not very materialistic and not at all, but it was the hopes and dreams that were tied up in why we had just purchased that car mm-hmm. because we were expanding our family. And so I, I transitioned out of that car. And then a few months after that, I was feeling like I was suffocating in the house and there were things that I just couldn't keep up with. And everybody said, wait a year before you put your house on the market. And I did not wait because I just literally felt like I was crumbling. My house was on the market for over a hundred days, which was abnormal during this time um, where homes were flying off the market. And then I had uh, an offer and I felt like, okay, there's some relief. And two days before closing, the offer fell through because the buyers were being investigated by, by the FBI. So then I lived out of uh, boxes for two, almost three months before the house finally sold again. And then when the house sold and I closed on a Friday, I walked in the next Monday and was let go for my job. So, I mean, it was just, it was a lot. It was a lot to process. And the best thing that I could do was just try to see hope. You know, try to see um, that better things were going to come if I would just try to get through each day. And I wasn't getting through the days in some eloquent manner. I was literally just trying to take it one breath at a time. You know, I couldn't think too far in advance. And I think the biggest shock um, that really left an imprint on my heart was that we can try to plan for life as much as we want to, and it doesn't always turn out that way. And losing my husband in such a tragic way taught me that lesson. So I really did not try to plan too far in advance and I really was very present and I took it day by day I I, I, I totally get all that and I, I still feel like when I'm listening to you speak that that on the other side of those words it's just this gotta be this immense chasm of pain and just how do you make sense of this and then you've got to take you've got a young child to care for and you're grieving and your whole world is turned upside down can you describe for us what those what it felt like? Mm-hmm. Well, 
The best way that I would describe it to people, because remember, being 29 and a widow, there were not a lot of people around me that could relate, right? Mm -hmm. And so it was hard for me to put into words what I was feeling. And I later found there's this chemical deficiency that happens in our brain when we lose a loved one. And that's why I couldn't really articulate it. But looking back, it really felt like I was drowning, It either felt like I was drowning, like I was suffocating, or like I was in a fog. But the point was, I just felt completely consumed with pain. And so on the outside, people would actually say, oh my gosh, you're so strong. I remember somebody said that to me in the, in the grocery store. And I thought it was the, I thought it was so rude of them to say, and so insensitive, but on the outside, maybe I did look like I was being strong because I wasn't, you know, going crazy. Um, But on the inside, I was completely broken. And I think the reason they saw strength was because I was truly operating on autopilot. I was just kind of going through the motions and, and on the inside, again, I just felt like, I don't know if I can handle this pain. I literally wanted to die because it seemed like a better option than to, to carry another day of that weight of pain. And I can understand why people do take their life. It didn't get to that point for me, though, because I did have that glimmer of hope. And that really also came from my son. And I didn't want that man who killed my husband to kill two people that night because he very well could have um, by the, the weight of emotion that I was feeling and carrying the you know weeks and months after. And so I just looked at my son and I said, it's not going to be his story. And that's when I decided that I was going to take my pain and I was going to turn it into purpose. And I was going to pay it forward to others because I didn't want anybody else to feel as alone as I felt during that time. That is that is stunning, and I I can I want to recognize at least one thing there that I heard uh, from my own experience in my education around logotherapy and existential psychology, et cetera. The 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 importance of having someone else to focus on, in other words, focused on serving others and, and other person, is so important to well being and and good health, and can catapult us out of that autopilot place that you're talking of, uh, and and you know the suffering piece of it. And, and so I think that that focus right there was it probably in part really saved your life, it sounds to me like. Absolutely. I tell people all the time, and my son doesn't realize it because, again, he was two, two and a half at the time, that he saved my life. If I did not have um, my little boy, I really feel like I would have given up on life because mm-hmm. it was just the weight of that experience. I mean, it can break you. Mm-hmm. What is his name? Caleb. Caleb. Thank you, Caleb, for keeping Karen in our lives. Thank you for that gift. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, so what did you learn about yourself going through that experience? Well, the first thing I learned was I don't have to be strong all the time. And for some reason, you know, we're all wired differently, but I was always kind of known as a leader. And I think I was, you know, I I had a very bubbly personality and a positive outlook on life in general. And and so I, I didn't have any of that. And I really felt like I was never going to get back to that place. And that was scary to me. Um, but in that, mess, I found that it's okay. It's okay to not be okay all the time. It is okay to just lay on the floor floor and cry. Um, and, And I needed that realization, especially because the work that I was, you know, leading into to help other people, which I didn't even realize, um, 
but I, I wouldn't be able to help and serve others if I couldn't meet them where they were. And usually it's when they're in the mess or the stress of life. And so that was the first thing I learned was that I don't have to have it all together. I don't have to always have a positive outlook. I can feel these feelings and not lose my strength. And then the other thing that I learned was that I had a lot of strength inside of me that I could tap into. You know, I could rebuild my confidence. I could reshape my life and really redefine who I was. Um, And that kind of came through the awareness of, hold on a second, I get to choose my reaction to this. My reaction can either be that I will be bitter and I will be miserable and I will hate life and be really cynical. Like I, I can choose that. Um, and, and you know what, if I did, I don't think anybody would be mad at me because it was a horrible thing that I went through. But I also realized that I didn't want that to be my story. I didn't want to live in that negative energy space. And the power that I held was in the response that I chose. And that was where I really started to become more intentional. Um, And that's also where I decided to put my oxygen mask on first and get out of gear of autopilot to be really intentional about how I was taking care of myself so that I could take care of my son better. That is beautiful, Karen. And I definitely want to explore more about that piece of the attitude after the break here. But let's grab our first break. I'm your host, Elise Cortez. We've been on the air with Karen Millsap. She is a resilience coach and the founder of the Grow Flow community. She joins us today from Orlando, Florida. We've been talking a bit about her horrific experiences that set her new life in motion. After the break, we're going to talk more about really what she's done to create a way to be able to serve others. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Elise Cortez is a speaker and engagement and development catalyst. She designs and delivers professional development, leadership, and engagement workshops and can bring her expertise to your organization. She will help ignite meaningful development within your workforce that will increase employee engagement, performance, and retention. To learn more or to invite Elise to speak to your organization, please visit her at www.elisecortez.com. She would welcome the opportunity to help get your employees working on purpose. This is Working on Purpose with Elise Cortez. To reach our program today, send an email to Elise, A-L-I-S-E, at EliseCortez.com. Now, back to Working on Purpose. Thanks for staying with us and welcome back to Working on Purpose. If you're just joining us, my guest is Karen Millsap. She is a resilience coach and the founder of the Grow Flow community. I'm your host, Elise Cortez. So, Karen, just before the break, you were you were talking a bit about the attitude that that you chose to to take in response to what life has served up to you. And I really want to talk about that for our listeners because it's such an important part of of the work that I do in logotherapy with individuals, leaders, and organizations. And it, it, it gets to the piece of in terms of how we experience meaning in life, we can get it from um, various ways, but one way we can get it is the attitude that we choose to take in the in the stance of, of fate or adversity that is given to us. We have the unique ability as humans to decide that attitude and choose it. And you particularly chose an attitude there that strikes me as remarkable, especially at somebody at age 29. Help us understand a bit more about how what that was like for you to just sort, just to sort of 
put the stake in the sand and, and take that attitude? Well, thank you for saying that. Um, it didn't feel remarkable. It didn't feel, <laughs> it, it didn't, um, it didn't strike me as anything except for this is what I got to do for my son. You know, it was just, mm-hmm. I didn't have any other option because what happened, what I noticed in my mind was I kept replaying the night that my husband died. As I mentioned, I wasn't there. Um, I didn't ask anybody for a lot of details, but of course they just kind of served that to you, right? And so because there were a lot of details that I didn't know, as I would replay that night over and over again, I would get stuck on things like, did he see the shooter coming in? Was he scared? You know, was he in pain? Was, I mean, I would just, even saying it right now, I can feel myself getting sick, right? Mm-hmm. And so what happened was when I realized that I could either look at those things or I could look towards other things like hope or gratitude that's what helped me to start to feel better physically, not in a drastic way, but I could just notice that subtle difference, right? As I mentioned, even just in the moment experiencing of, of replaying some of those thoughts, uh, or excuse me, repeating some of those thoughts that I had. And so, so what I decided was, okay, I don't really know how I'm going to step forward. I don't feel like I have the confidence to do so. I'm, I was questioning everything that I did. Um, But what I decided was I am going to, at the very least, look at the things I can be grateful for right now. I'm grateful that I have a pillow under my head (laughs) because a lot of this would happen at night as I'm falling asleep. You know, I'm grateful that my son is um, healthy. I am grateful that that we had food today. I was grateful that I could take a shower, right? Because there are some days where I'm like, I'm not going to shower and I may not eat. (laughs) And so I got really granular with gratitude in the beginning. And then as I started to move forward and as time started to, you know, unfold, I could look back at moments that were good and that helped to build my confidence. Um, For example, when my, uh, when I was let go from my job, I remember carrying my box of things getting down to my car, sitting there, and I was crying. I mean, just, it was, I thought to myself, what am I going to do? Yeah, I'm I'm Mm. failing. That's how I felt. I am failing. It's been a year, and I'm failing my son. And I thought to myself, what the heck am I going to do? And then I thought to myself, within a moment, oh, my gosh, what am I going to do? It was like a different tone, a different pitch Mm. of excitement. And that was a moment where my mind shifted. And it really helped me, again, put a couple things together. One, that I have the power to choose my response to what just happened. And two, that my response was going to change the energy that I brought to life and the intention that I brought to life. And when I was able to see it in that moment, now that I had the freedom, you know, really from a a corporate job that was bringing me down, honestly, because I couldn't even grieve how I needed to. It's awkward, right? It's just awkward in the workplace. So it gave me first the space to grieve. So I spent about six weeks just grieving, just sitting and facing all those um, feelings that I had to suppress when I went back to work. And then I got clear on what I wanted my next steps to take, uh, to be. And so I do think that when we honor when we honor our feelings and when we uh, process the emotions that come with different hardships or setbacks, 
it really helps us to lean into a space that may be uncomfortable for the moment, but it doesn't last forever. And even if it comes back, you know, I say this all the time, we never stop grieving. We just learn how to manage it in our life. But guess what? On the day to day, it's not just those big events that we're grieving, stress and overwhelm come, right? Burnout or, um, or, or volunteering too much, you know, uh, uh, when we are dedicated to too many things, like when we are in that space of just being busy, we can lose ourselves there as well. So if we just check in with ourselves and get intentional about how we want to show up in the next moment, it allows us to show up as our best self. Oh my gosh, Karen, this is so beautiful. There's two things that I really want to call out about what you were just saying there to really help our listeners gain what I hope is is some some real learning opportunity for themselves. One is uh, there's really uh, the fourth way that we can really uh, gain access to to meaning, according to Viktor Frankl and logotherapy, is through gratitude. And so what you did to practice that gratitude is a, is a tremendous way to be able to cultivate meaning in, in, our, in our lives. And you are a beautiful, perfect example of somebody who you would think, oh, how can I find gratitude in anything? But you found it. You discovered it. And, and that's, so I want to call that out. And then uh, the second thing I want to call out for our listeners in, in terms of your own experiences, and it's something that I've gotten more and more present to as I've gone out to speak, Karen, is that when I go out and talk about the importance of cultivating meaning and inspiration and passion and purpose, invariably, I'm getting people that come and share their stories with me. And they tell me about things like what you've gone through that have, you know should have crippled them. But when they lean into it, they recognize that when they embraced the experience, whatever it was, that in the healing of that, and then in sharing it with some with someone else, it became an expression of their purpose, just mm-hmm. like it has been for you. And I, so I, for people who have been pummeled by life, those of you listening have had those experiences that have maybe knocked you to your knees. There may be something there, as there has been for Karen, that is a gift for you to be able to give back and share and serve other people, as Karen is doing. So. With that in, Karen, now I well, want to talk about... Well, and one thing with that, Elise, if, if you don't mind me yeah, saying yeah, this, for sure. I, I mentioned this in my TED Talk that not everybody will be as, um, uh, you know, uh, flamboyant, we'll say, as I am, or adventurous or ambitious <laughs> or what have you, in, in trying to create a movement or a business around their adversity, right? That is okay. Sometimes it's the small gesture. And I think if we can just tap into, I know what this pain feels like. Let me show up for this person with compassion and empathy. You may end up being that source of hope or strength to another person just in sharing your story or just in reflecting on your story and then showing up in a very intentional way when you see somebody else experiencing that pain. And so again, it may not be this grand gesture of creating a, a business or becoming a speaker or a coach. I never thought I would do any of this. I really didn't. Um, but it doesn't have to be that level. It can literally be in the small details just by tapping into what you've gone through and showing up for somebody else. I completely agree with that. And I'm so glad you said that because I wouldn't want our listeners to think that they have to literally, you know, go quit their life and <laughs> yeah. just totally reinvent themselves and become a speaker or whatever else they might do. But, but, you have. And so a couple things. I just, I love the fact you are uniquely a resilience coach. Oh my gosh, you are uniquely qualified. And and part of what I appreciate that you're up to now is really creating and propelling this healing movement. So, I've, you know, obviously we can see where it comes from, from your, in your own life, but there's a reason you're doing this work. So 
What do you see that's going on in the world that we find ourselves in need of such a movement? You know, it was when I recognized that grief is not just the result of a death, that it's when we experience different changes or losses that we we then experience emotional distress. And I actually saw similarities between my emotional distress and my sister who was going through a divorce at the time. And so then again, my mind just became open to how are we processing all of the things that weigh us down, whether it is death, whether it is job loss or divorce, or even just, you know, managing different personalities, Um, even adoption, you know, or pregnancy, the dynamics of your family and your household changing, all of that can really bring a lot of overwhelm. Um, And so when I started to think about that, I thought, okay, well, first is normalizing the conversation around this, right? We need to talk about our stories. We need to share our stories because then we don't feel as alone. But beyond that, we need to also share the healing part of our journey. So I really, I pivoted away from a lot of what people were hoping that I would become, which is kind of this grief girl, right? This advocate for grief. And I started to focus less on the pain and more on the solution. And that's when I honed in on how do we create a healing movement? Having conversations about what helped us during those dark times, what habits we were able to um, to use to bring that positive mindset, to practice emotional regulation, you know, to face our fears. Like having those conversations again helps us to normalize what our our conversations look like right now around grief and emotional distress. Um, but then also sharing tools and resources. I am a huge fan of positive psychology and the things that I have learned in just, you know, studying online, reading books, looking up studies. I mean, it has just really helped to open up my mind to the varying tools and resources that are out there. And so I, I even started to think about my journey to say, okay, what did I do to switch my mindset from focusing on the bad to now looking towards hope and and more productive thought cycles. And so that's when I started to um, jot down some of the practical ways and simple and effective ways that I was creating this change in my life and rebuilding my life. And so so that's where I feel like we can really generate a movement is because we've all been through something or we're currently going through it or we're just feeling burnt out by day-to-day life. And also there are a ton of resources out there and healthy habits that we can share that will help us then cultivate a healthier and happier life which ultimately creates a ripple effect. The things that I've learned, I'm teaching my son. That's impacting the next generation. Also, the things that I've learned are helping me to show up in other people's lives in a positive way. And they are feeding off of this energy and this light, which then creates a ripple effect in their life. So again, it starts with just acknowledging the hard stuff, but sharing the good stuff. Oh my gosh, Karen, that is so beautiful. And I don't know if our listeners are aware of this, but I certainly am. And I want to call it out. Just listening to your energy, when we began this conversation on that, when, when you were 29 years old and you lost your husband, and now I, the energy that you're, you're sharing from right now, Karen, is just, it's so compelling, it's so enthralling, it's so alluring, and it's life-affirming. Thank you. Thank yes. you. 
You're welcome. <laughs> You're so welcome. Thank you. Uh, let's let's grab our last break because after the break, I want to talk more about what you're doing in your communities and in your master class. And I want to make sure our listeners have a chance to be able to chew on that. So let's grab our last break. I'm your host, Elise Cortez. We're on the air with Karen Millsap. She is a resilience coach and the founder of the GrowFlow Grow community. She joins us today from Orlando, Florida. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Elise Cortez is a speaker and engagement and development catalyst. She designs and delivers professional development, leadership, and engagement workshops and can bring her expertise to your organization. She will help ignite meaningful development within your workforce that will increase employee engagement, performance, and retention. To learn more or to invite Elise to speak to your organization, please visit her at www.elisecortez.com. She would welcome the opportunity to help get your employees working on purpose. This is Working on Purpose with Elise Cortez. To reach our program today, send an email to Elise, A-L-I-S-E, at EliseCortez.com. Now, back to Working on Purpose. Thanks for staying with us and welcome back to Working on Purpose. If you're just tuning in, my guest is Karen Millsap. She is a resilience coach and the founder of the GrowFlow community. I'm your host, Elise Cortez. So, Karen, for this last bit here, now that we've talked about really where your journey has has sprung from and how you've navigated that, now I want to focus on just what you're doing to help other people. So, first, I love the, the name of your community, Grow Flow. So, where did this? How? When did this come along in your journey? And and who do you serve in that space? So, when I was thinking about okay, what does this healing movement look like, and what is it going to be called, and how are people going to be tied to it, I ultimately had to think about what do I want them to be able to do through everything I put out. What should they be able to do, and ultimately through the resources we provide, the individuals should be able to grow through the things that they go through, and they should be able to flow with life's ups and downs. We are not going to be able to predict all of the troubles that come our way. We can't even change them once they get there. The circumstances and events that happen in our life, that's just, those are the cards that we're dealt. And so if we are able to grow through that, then it's redeeming those painful moments. And if we're able to flow through it, then that's what true resiliency looks like. So the the goal of the Grow Flow is to provide individuals with emotional and mental health resources. And so it's everything from different techniques and tools to books or um, programs. Um, and again, also infusing positive lifestyle inspiration in there so that we make sure that we're not just settling for the life that we have, but we're really working to achieve our greatest abilities. So I love all of that. And so as a community, then it's an, it's an online community then? It is. So you can go on to my website and find a ton of free resources. You can follow on on social media as well. Um, But this is just the very beginning because I have some big plans for conferences and retreats to be hosted by the Grow Flow with different partners that are just in the total wellness space. 
Mm-hmm. I love that. I absolutely love that. I, I also ha- have a am cultivating an online community for people that really wanted to develop their 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 connection and discovery of meaning, passion, inspiration, and purpose. Because I've found Karen that whenever I'm out speaking, people are so hungry for that, and so for them to get even into that space, they need you first. So sure. I love that you've created a community like that, and I'm cheering for you. And I also really applaud what you're doing around adding the the, the retreats piece of it and and the other aspects of conferences around. It. That's so important. And what's great, too, is that both of us from different angles are really addressing the well-being space, mm-hmm. right? That's part of what we're up to here. Um, and to that end, I want to hear about this masterclass community called Soul Care. What's that about? Well, so the Grow Flow is a big place to get everything, but Soul Care is more of an intimate and intentional setting. So we meet every month and we pull back the layers of different topics. For example, last month we were talking about facing fear and we give some really um, practical ways to face face our fears. Um, we also um, will have challenges throughout the month that will help us experience and growth. And then this month, we're talking about how do we turn up the happy? <laughs> how do we increase our joy and just soak up the goodness? And so it's going to be a really fun month because we are going to talk about, um, you know, how we can get more happiness. It is through gratitude. It's also through being silly and enjoying music and going painting or, you know, taking your shoes off and just feeling the earth underneath your feet. Like that is so grounding. So there are so many ways that we can tap into um, our happiness but also turn it up a notch. And so that's the goal of this month. But the masterclass is really a space for individuals to come. We meet online um, and then they're constantly fed throughout the month based on the different topics and themes. And I even bring in guest coaches who, you know, depending on their specialty, can just pour in a different perspective about our topics. So that way people are getting a well-rounded experience and not just hearing, you know, from, from one person's experience. Mm. I, I love the idea there of what I heard you say, among other things there, Karen, is cultivating delight, right? Mm-hmm. So, right. And, and it is so important to be able to dance with life and just be silly and enjoy yourself. I remember when I was um, young and just meeting my then husband. And at the time I was 32 and he was 27. And I had this thing where whenever we, we went out grocery shopping, I wanted to be pushed in the cart. <laughs> and and he was like horrified by that and and I was like come on you know and so I'd get in the cart and I'd say come on push anyway he he got he got he got to a place where he could get around it but but like that silliness that I mean, being able to dance is so important and I love that's part of what you're up to it doesn't it doesn't surprise me but I love it yeah and I actually thought about this because I was with my son at a park and I don't know the last time I hopped on a swing but when I got on a swing and I started pumping my legs I started laughing because it felt so good and I thought to myself man when did this stop in life And why? When did we get so consumed with everything else that is pulling for our time and attention that we did not just rest in these moments that make us laugh and make us smile? And you know what? Those moments actually change the structure of your brain. So you can literally create a new life by intentionally bringing more happiness into your world. You know what's so great about this conversation, Karen, is you of all people who, you know, lost your your husband six years ago tragically, for you to be able to really embrace this just tremendous sense of joy and gratitude is really a great message from you. Thank you. Thank you. I, I my friend asked me, she said, 
Um, so what do you think of all of this? You know, the life that you're living and, and how does it feel? And I thought about my husband and I said, he was so much fun and he loved life. I think he would be proud of me. And so mm-hmm. that's what I'm just hoping is through not just the good and intentional work that I'm doing to help people heal, but also through the fun that I'm creating for our son and for other people and the energy that I'm giving. You know, I'm just I'm hoping that he's just proud of my effort. Mm, that is so beautiful. And and again, for those of you listeners who have lost someone really special and important to you like Karen has, I really hope that you're getting something from this beautiful joy that she's able to access. And there's something there for you. Um, and if if not, then reach out and talk to her. <laughs> yes. Um, so, okay. So, and the other thing that I said to you when we, when we first spoke on the phone is that I really like to be able to give my listeners something that they can really immediately use in their lives um, as they walk away from our conversation. And you said, well, I've got this thing called stop and shift. So talk to us about that. Yes. So resiliency really starts in your mind, right? And so I'm thinking about adding one more thing onto that title, resilience and mindset coach, because Mm -hmm, that's mm -hmm. where all of this starts. Um, And so I was thinking, because my mom asked me, she said, what do you think was the first thing you did to start on this path of healing? And I said, I changed my mindset. And I explained that a little bit earlier in the show, but this is how I was able to create a method that's easy for other people to understand the process I went through in my mind. So the first thing is it's stopping the negative thought cycles, which I don't know why that's our dominant or our default space, but it is, right? And so STOP stands for silence thoughts on purpose. Mm -hmm. That is a, a level of awareness. That is the first step of mindfulness is to be able to disconnect from your thoughts, to see them not as you, but as that voice inside of your head. And to also kind of see them as like sticks in a river, just floating by right? They are separate from you. And when you're able to do that, then you can silence those thoughts on purpose. But if you silence your thoughts, eventually what happens? More thoughts start to creep back in. (laughs) And so (laughs) you have to be intentional about pointing your thoughts in a new direction. So you shift them. And when you shift them away, then you're going to look at things. And this is what shift stands for. You're going to see hope, intentions, facts, and then new thoughts. And let me break that part down really quick because when you see hope, which is a lot of what I was seeing early on, like for example, when my house had to be pulled back off the market, I was living around boxes. I had to look at hope and just say, listen, my house is eventually going to sell. When? I don't know, but I am going to remain hopeful because while I'm waiting, I can either feel miserable or I can feel hopeful. I'm going to be waiting the same amount of time, which unbeknownst to me was going to be, you know, two to three months later, but it's just my choice and how I show up during that time. So to remain hopeful is really just allowing yourself to be positive, usually while you're waiting for something or while you're in the midst of a change. And then when you're looking at intentions, you may have to look at other people's intentions. Maybe you're in a disagreement and and you have to see like, are they trying to be mean or rude or are they just, you know, very passionate about their stance or sometimes you need to check your own intentions before you respond to a situation. Otherwise, you may respond from that default emotional space instead of reacting in a way that is going to bring positivity or it's going to move you in a more productive manner. So check your heart's intentions before you start to respond. 
And then the last thing is to see facts where sometimes, again, we're, we are uh, reacting from a very limited perspective or we don't have all the details or, or, or we need to just ground ourselves with the facts because we are so far off base with our emotions. And so during any scenario, you can see one of these three, three things. You can see all of these three things. You know, sometimes you really have to pause and shift to each of those. Um, but I want to give you an example that I just had a woman ask um, me for advice on in a, a talk I gave at Universal a couple of weeks ago. She said, I, I really struggle with mom guilt because I travel a lot for work and it, it makes me feel bad that I'm not spending this time with my two littles. Like, how can I work through that? And I said, well, what is something that you would shift to? Just think about it for a second. And then I told her, I said, what comes to mind for me first is stopping the negative thought cycle that you're a bad mom and you should feel guilty that you're away from your kids and shift to your intentions. Because I see the intentions of a mom who wants to contribute to her family's livelihood, who wants to provide for her family, who wants to try to give the best to her kids. And that's why you have this amazing job that, yes, requires you to travel, but you're not doing that to cause harm to your children. You're actually doing it because you want to benefit your kids and their future. And I could see the weight lifted from her mind and her shoulders, actually, when I said this to her. And I struggle with that too, with mom guilt that, oh man, am I doing the wrong thing? So again, it doesn't have to be a big hardship. It can be everyday struggles and stressors. But if you stop the negative thoughts and you shift it to something that is more positive and productive, then you can choose your response, which is then going to create a positive ripple effect in your life. That is gorgeous, Karen. And it reminds me a bit of the work that I do with with individuals, leaders, and organizations with logotherapy, which is a a very similar premise, Karen. So, you know, you and I are are drinking from the same hose is that with from choosing the lens through which we, 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 we allow ourselves to view things, any experience that might be considered negative, like the mother and the mom guilt, can be transmuted into a positive experience through a different lens. And that different, when we do so, it actually allows us to grow. And so when you said you, you saw her, her shoulders relax and such, I would also say that in part it was because she was also growing in the process that you gave her of being able to see her life in that way. Absolutely, absolutely. And think about how that then encourages you to show up in life. You're not showing up with negative energy. You're showing up with energy that's infectious and will create a ripple effect around you. Right, right. So you're contributing further in in the process to other people around you. Absolutely, totally see that. And and similarly, like like you, Karen, that's part of what I'm I'm up to in the world too is to create that 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 meaning and purpose movement that really is enrolling other people and allows people to grow themselves in the process of serving others. And again, that positive ripple effect. I'm completely with you on that. Yes. good (laughs) I I call it I call it spreading pixie dust but um, and that's what I'm up to in life spreading pixie dust Um, so you started to say something about what you're doing there with the talk you just gave there at the organization you mentioned I I, I like if you would say two things for us because we're getting close to out of time here first when you're out speaking you got your TED talk and you also do conference speaking as well what is the message that you're really trying to convey to people So there's two messages. One is teaching stop and shift, right? Because I think that that is a really practical way for people who are just trying to figure out how do I control my mind and my thoughts? It's a really easy technique to use. Um, But I'm also talking about how do we get more good vibes in real life? 
more good energy. We live in a digital world where everything is so curated that we are disconnecting from what really brings good energy into our life. And so I'm just sharing the message of things that have helped me, you know, again, like positive self-talk and emotional regulation, even doing digital detoxes or making sure you're getting enough rest and sleep and eating well. Like in the very beginning, I had to figure out what am I eating? Because I think I feel like trash. (laughs) Like I need to get more vegetables and fruits into my diet so that I feel better. And so there's so many ways internally and externally that we can get these good vibes in real life. And so really depending on the audience, <laughs> what they want to focus on, but it, it is about how are we taking care of ourselves to create an unbreakable foundation so that we can get through anything that life throws at us. And it comes through those two messages. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. And then finally, and I'm not sure if this is maybe a continuation of what you just said, I want to I, I want to be able to understand, you say that when you go into work with companies, when you first started your work, you were really sharing messages about how to deal with grief. And then over time, that really turned into the importance of self-care and total well-being, which I make makes complete sense to me. So when you work with companies, how are you working with them to, to utilize your message? So I still have some of those, um, you know, off the shelf learnings like grief management and empathic listening and and, and uh, things of that nature. But what has really been striking a chord recently has been uh, this masterclass that's called Leader Care. And leader care is diving into the importance of self-care and more specifically mindfulness. And so what I do is I unpack self-care from kind of a a 30,000 foot level, you know, looking at mental, emotional, spiritual, and physical. And I tie that into how it impacts your life, your personal life and your work life, and how when you create a uh, self-care as a lifestyle, how it even helps you to manage stress how it helps you to um, make better decisions. And so leader care is really what I've been getting asked to uh, talk on most because I now see that companies are shifting from not just looking at, okay, how do we have a great employee assistance program for our people, but how do we give our people the tools they need to access their best self? And that is coming through, um, that's coming through leader care, self-care and mindfulness. Wow, that is a beautiful way to finish our conversation, Karen. We are just out of time, and that was the way to finish. Thank you so much for joining me as a guest. It is a pleasure to have you in my life. Well, thank you so much for having me. This is such a great conversation. I love your show, and I love your work. Thank you. Likewise. Okay, so listeners, if you want to learn more about Karen Millsap and the work she does, go to her website. It's KarenMillsap.com. So that's K-A-R-E-N, Millsap, M-I-L-L-S-A-P.com. Last week, if you missed the show live, you can always catch a recorded podcast. We were on the air with Dr. Alex Patakos, a.k.a. Dr. Meaning of the Global Meaning Institute. We were talking about his new discipline called Meaningology and how he is helping people and organizations across the globe discover more meaning in their lives and help and their work, which is activating higher levels of engagement, innovation, and performance. Incredibly impassionate man. Passionate man. Um, next week, we'll be on the air with Dr. Joanne Lefebvre, Connolly talking about what she's learned about the lessons animals can teach people about being better humans. Ought to be a great conversation. See you then. Remember that work is at least one third of our lives, so let's work on purpose. We hope you've enjoyed.
enjoyed this week's program. Be sure to tune in to Working on Purpose, featuring your host, Elise Cortez, each week on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. This week, find your life's purpose at work. <laughs>